0: Peace be upon you and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. My name is Kaleem Wanwar and I'm your host for today's show. With me in the studio to to attempt to dissect this topic and its many encompassing issues is fellow Pathway to Peace presenter Shams Najim. For today's show, given that we're at the start of, the, of, the, of another new year, it's that time of year where many of us take up the challenge of giving up those bad habits. A new year can give some drive and impetus to start afresh, but for others, it can be the moment to break that vicious addiction that prevented them from reaching their true potential in the previous year. That's why this week's episode is entitled New Year Resolutions Time to Break the Habit. So, um, Asalaamu Alaikum, and warm welcome to Shams. Well, um, thanks for having me. No, no, no! Thanks for coming on, and uh, another year, and uh, well, well, another show. But um, yeah, I just thought it was quite topical, really. So around about that time, obviously, it's you know it's the new year, and yeah, many people kind of use this, I guess, as a sort of a springboard mm. to sort of you know take on board a new a new idea or a new resolution, a commitment. You would say, you know to I suppose sort of change change from from what happened times before
1: yeah 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 it is that time of year isn't it where you which is good but i'm not sure most of it lasts to you know post post feb probably but it's a good chance to at least try to make the changes isn't it
0: there was an interesting statistic somewhere um I, i think around about when what was the yeah the point at which uh people have tried their level best to sort of whatever whatever their sort of the commitment was to sort of either maybe it was more exercise or you know give up smoking or something and and they do say the sort of the drop out sort of rate it starts to sort of obviously you can you start that new year like and you're really kind of abiding by your sort of your your regime or yeah. you know, whatever you've, schedule you've got in place, but they say I think around right about tenth of feb is it <laughs> yeah, I think they tried to sort of pinpoint it to a day, and um I don't know maybe that's when um. Yeah, it was burnout possibly.
1: Five six weeks. Yeah, is that yeah. What it takes? yeah. Yeah. But it is um, I suppose at least you know being in the indie the year, it's a it's a time to reflect, isn't it? To um, yeah. To at least um, look back at the year we've had, and again once again, I think we, we seem to be saying this every year. It's, it's flown by, and I can't believe it's... Yeah. We're in 2023 now, but yeah, an, an opportunity to make yeah reflect and make some changes. Yeah, that's
0: true. And I and I and I guess it's fair to say that over this period. It's it's pretty much been uh, when I say it feels as if it's kind of gone to pre-pandemic sort of yeah um, you know way of life yeah yeah if if I could say such a thing um, yeah it, you know there were you know no restrictions at all mm. I mean it's it's essentially it, as if it never happened <laughs> basically because
1: yeah. this time last year we went back into like a mini lockdown yeah, was, didn't we for a few weeks I was thinking that yeah, and, um, yeah. but now it just seems like we're yeah well and COVID truly or not. out of yeah. yeah we're just you know <laughs>
0: we, we're, we're, you know Onwards, basically, yeah, as I say. Exactly. So, um, although I mean, I guess it's not to be said. I suppose with some other countries, and I think even there's still some restrictions. Um, and even I think passengers coming from other countries into the UK, even yeah. then they've got to have some. To, I, there, I guess there will always be some level of testing, possibly, yeah. um, but certainly not to the to to the levels we've seen in previous kind of new year uh, previous years.
1: No, no, and I, and yeah. Finally, right? I think the yeah. last, last two or three years have been a real yeah sort of, they've flipped life upside down, haven't they, really, yeah. in so many ways. Yeah.
0: Um. Uh, the mentality really now is, seems to be, yeah, we live with this, mm, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I suppose just <clears throat> coming to the topic at hand then around sort of New Year's sort of resolutions or, you know, these sort of, you know, new sort of new... Uh, this sort of commitment to sort of you know change uh, essentially, um, sort of a force a force for change. I suppose it has its origins um, from various different cultures. Um, they say, for example, the Romans began each year by making promises to the Roman god Janus, for whom the month of January was named. Um, we have, uh, for example, uh, you know even even in in um, Jewish um, Judaism, for example uh the new year of Rosh uh Hashanah uh, through the through the holidays uh, which culminates in the day known as Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement. Um so we see sort of it does have its sort of origins in various in various cultures. Um but the I did the well coming back to the statistic what well, I mentioned before, they say about, you know, people that sort of take you know take on board a new sort of you uh, using as I said, using it as a springboard to make a change, um, they say the success rate... There was a study actually done back in uh, 2015, actually. 35% of participants uh, who failed their New Year's, New Year's resolutions admitted that they had unrealistic goals. Um, so maybe that's something that we, we could explore, I think, later on in the show. but uh, And then they said 33 per- participants did not keep track of their progress. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, 23% even forgot about them. Um, and... Um, yeah so I suppose there's many factors, I guess
1: you know what's interesting as yeah. well is um just I was trying to think about this earlier on why is it that yeah at the end of the year and the beginning of the new year, people yeah are like you know i wanna I wanna make a change, so yeah. like, what is it because if after if after December there was you know a thirteenth month, nothing would change and go true. on That's absolutely true. as normal, but yeah. the fact that there's this sense of yeah. a new beginning and I suppose yeah. We kind of have, you know, coming from the Islamic background, we kind of have the same feeling in 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 yeah. Ramzan where we feel, yeah, you know, it's an it's it's a chance to reignite some of good habits and and close off some. It just shows human nature, right? They're looking, for, you yeah. is looking for an opportunity to excel that's true. and do well, and maybe that's an opportunity that people pick up on. That you know, whether it fails or not, but at least most people are are trying. Whether they make these firm sort of yeah. resolutions or not, you know, yeah. most people are, I think, in going into the new year that, yeah. uh, having reflected on the year, yeah, just gone and, and and trying to make some good improvements.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I think there's there's a lot to be said about that. This that just yeah, I agree. There's there's very much, I guess, that innate desire mm. for for self improvement, yeah. um, and I think yeah, but yeah, spot on. Uh, Ramadan is a perfect example, isn't it? Um, where many a time. Uh, as muslims we sort of use that well and i, th- I suppose it helps as well given that that enduring that month yeah i mean the fact that you're you're going through the whole month itself is seen as a change whereas i guess new year resolutions it's a bit it, 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 i guess it doesn't come as a surprise for the sort of high failure rate
1: exactly because they, it's just a day <laughs> again it shows the beauty of islam in in, in trying to create ease in yeah in, in and, and help Whereas Ramzan actually allows you that one month of yeah. going as hard as you can and then there's the acceptance of some of it will drop off but at least you've given it that go. Whereas here it's yeah. literally from one day to another you you're, you have these yeah. huge aspirations to make huge change. I think, as you said, we'll probably touch upon yeah. unrealistic goals and, and, and the way people are sort of yeah, going no. about making that change.
0: Yeah, no, 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 exactly. I think the one thing to be said then about I suppose this the, when we talk about New Year resolutions. <clears throat> I suppose there is a deeper uh, sort of deeper aspect to this. Um, you know, me, you know, using it as a force for change is one thing, and and I guess the context behind this show is also looking at how, yes, fine, there can be sort of bad habits that that we have. I guess it's sort of admitting or understanding that when one has one has that bad habit, but but whether or not is it an, an is it an actual addiction um and i think that's the i think that the angle of the show here is when sort of admitting an a, a, a sort of an acknowledgement that right okay there's there's a real problem here basically um and 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 i guess it's knowing and that's probably one of the key things really is knowing when i guess to admit really that when when one has an addiction um so just look, and obviously just, you know and and that I think is also so you know many time maybe people do use new year's resolutions as as, as that as to sort of break the cycle i guess mm. um we know and and you know more than any time in the past, sort the level of addictions or the way addictions can manifest themselves in in this day and age i mean there's there's i mean what what can you not be addicted to i mean there's just a whole spectrum of we're ranging from, you know, from tech usage. Mm. I mean, you've got your traditional, what was previously known as obviously sort of alcoholism and, and you know, drug gambling. addiction, gambling, um, of which we'll have a, a clip later in the show about sort of someone working in the industry. Um, but, yeah, but sort of obviously naturally sort of it's sort of tech addiction, which relates to that, is obviously sort of the, the, the porn industry and the effect that's having now on, on sort of young, on the whole new generation, um to shopping to just you know something which i think on the surface people may think okay that's just um that's just what i do whatever you know you know let me have that one thing so it's almost become sort of you sort of justify it don't you Mm. where if you think there's no harm in that um it's only just you know it's just casual shopping or or but when you realize you're sort of spending way beyond your means i think the same could be said for all things even when it comes to smoking drinking if you think no you know you, you you almost sort of cheat yourself where people think justify oh, it's just one you know it's you know it's just only it's for social reasons or whatever and you you're right you 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 find a way to justify it the the human the human nature has a way of sort of explaining it away basically that no it's not a problem
1: it's weird though, isn't it because if <clears throat> say if you were to break your arm and mm. you could see the break, you'd feel the pain, yeah and you'd do everything to fix it, and you would go through that process to fix it immediately because that's physical pain yeah. and tangible pain. Yeah. I suppose with these things you don't necessarily see that break do you? It's it's that mental that's true. sort of yes. And it's over a prolonged period. So sometimes it's and again that's I suppose that's what people use this period of the year to yeah. to recognize the prolonged yeah sort of addiction to something and and where that pain really is and sometimes as you said yeah well not sometimes, always it's about initially just recognizing why something is bad for you as only then can you really then yeah try and make some amendments can't you
0: yeah no absolutely i've got some statistics here um just to kind of showing the rates of, of of different types of addictions there was one um from delamere.com this is a uk drug addiction report 2022 um uh, it just sort of mentions various v- various stats. Basically, uh, London has the highest rate of drug driving offences in the UK, um, uh, uh, and obviously, just kind of looking at various other locations, we have um, the highest uh, UK areas with the highest increase in drug arrests. Uh, Leicestershire has seen the highest increase, um, so obviously, looking more more up north, all around the Midlands. Um, <clears throat> As well as, I'm just, just looking at various other kind of stats, the top UK locations with the highest rate of alcohol dependency, uh, and the town of Darlington has the highest increase in alcohol dependency in the UK, wow. uh, with more than 400% growth since 2010. Um, 400%, that's massive. So this is Darlington in the northeast, uh, followed by which is which? I was just—I going mean—that—that that says a lot in itself because we talk about—I mean—that's a whole other show. Mm. Issues more generally around northeast in terms of in terms of um, high sort of unemployment, um, which no doubt are sort of combining kind of you know combining factors, I guess, when it comes to these types of issues, which no doubt we'll explore in the show. Second, actually, was Southampton um, with se- uh, second highest rate of alcohol dependency, then followed by the City of London uh, as a natural borough, City of London within Central London so yeah i was quite I'm quite surprised actually um Southampton I was a bit surprised about I didn't expect to see that in, in the second place,
1: yeah, just going going through that article it's mm. um it starts off that alcohol dependency part of it by saying drinking is a huge part of the culture mm. yeah um, and you know it's part of socializing um yeah. in this country and and I know that, you know there's been sort of times at work where it just seems like it, as an organization as a group sometimes people are unable to under to to even fathom yeah. a, uh an evening without alcohol and I think it's so yeah. embedded into the culture yeah I don't I don't see these stats yeah. really as a uh, surprise. yeah not yeah. at all yeah yeah it's kind of um yeah yeah
0: no I agree I agree. From another source now, this is from techaddiction.ca, um, where it looks at, for example, the stats on internet pornography. Uh, and this is really, really, sort of, really sad, sort of reading here. Um, if they did some analysis here 12% of websites, 12% of all websites on the internet are of pornographic nature. Um, they say, for example, every second, um, Every second, uh, three just over three thousand uh, dollars are being spent on pornography each day. I think these stats are just looking at, uh, at the US alone, um, <coughs> and then we have um, mass amounts, just mass amounts of money. And I, and I guess that's just no surprise in terms yeah. of you know that we know, for example, the way sort of it, it, you know it's the amount of revenue that comes in in that in that sector um, is, is is quite sad, um, but yeah, it's. But, um,
1: yeah, sorry. You no, know, I was saying it's very sad, isn't it? We live in this sort of hypersexualized society now, yeah. where yeah. everything, as you mentioned before, social media, yeah. everything is open, everything is available, and our and our sort of children are being,
0: yeah,
1: they yeah, they they they're forced into this, aren't they? Really? Yeah. Um,
0: it's interesting you say that because there was another stat here: thirty-four percent of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure. Mm. Um to pawn through the pop ups misdirected links, you know almost one in three, so you're right there's all there's essentially sort of a there's a gateway there basically yeah. isn't it it doesn't yeah, just yeah. it doesn't just happen yeah. you know just have thin air, something's kind of leading leading you to
1: it yeah, yeah, just uh, going back to actually sorry <coughs> to um the alcohol conversation we were having, yeah, and just going through that article a little bit, it also highlighted. How the pandemic impacted alcohol related hospital admissions across the u k yeah yeah, and that there had been a seventy percent decline in hospitalization oh interesting and um and then which
0: it's it probably because of the pandemic though, yeah right? oh okay,, I But I suppose it highlights yeah um, yeah,
1: you know if there is that addiction there, yeah, the, well,
0: who knows the consequences,
1: yeah, yeah, but this at least you know w- the pandemic has been able to highlight to us because yeah. We were in a lockdown. You weren't allowed to go out. You weren't allowed to sort of yeah. go to pubs and bars. Yeah. And this is a, you know, very good statistics to really highlight because before pandemic, we would probably, you know, there probably would have been arg- arguments to say, if we stop drinking now, this would happen, that would. But actually, this is proof. Yeah, this is proof that where that addiction has been sort of stopped because by law you weren't allowed to go out. You can see the result. Yeah. Um. But you know, again, it can, it can, it can go either way on you because you don't know what. What happened in, inside people 's homes and, yeah. and but at least at a statistical level, yeah, you can see that the hospital admissions dropped yeah by an average of seventy percent in most places, yeah yeah, because of the lack of opportunity to consume alcohol at high levels
0: yeah I mean that yeah you're right i mean that's many many sort of an academic has said the pandemic is a little bit of a a ticking time bomb in terms of storing up problems, not not just necessarily for addiction cancer rates for example it's just things that have been sort of going unchecked or undiagnosed um yeah I but think
1: I, I, yeah again i don't want to go to the end of the show now but you know yeah. at the end we'll, we'll highlight yeah the guidance that's been given to us yeah. um and, and one of the ways in in tackling addiction is to detest that or at least prohibit yourself from yeah. accessing that yeah and i think this kind of shows that doesn't it where yeah. there's been that prohibition of access to alcohol you can see the benefits and yes i suppose it's a good way to to look at all addiction isn't it to, yeah if you can stay away from it yeah um somehow make yourself stay away from those places where some of these, that ex- these that would...
0: external stimuli yeah so, yeah no and yeah we should def- we'll definitely come back to that <clears throat> i guess this next segment really is just sort of looking at the science behind it really that why how the sort of addiction um kind of take place I've got here from sort of a natural recovery uh, website. Uh, this is from Silveridge, um, which specializes in sort of treat, uh, addiction treatment. And it says addiction is characterized by the inability to stop using drugs or alcohol, even though using is causing problems in your life. Um, they talk about how this compulsive drug usage, despite negative consequences, is the result of changes in brain function and structure that affect your thought patterns and behaviors. So here's the science bit, really, which says when you use drugs or alcohol, the neurotransmitter known as dopamine is released in the brain, causing feelings of pleasure. The memory region of the brain records a memory of this feeling. The learning centre forms connections between the pleasure, the drug use, and the environmental cues that are present during use, which are known as triggers. So over time, the connection the brain makes between using and the pleasure it produces becomes stronger and may lead to intense cravings. Um, so it's very very much behavioral mm. you know you, you know it's it's I mean, on some level it's sort of that base sort of human um desire, desire yeah. really isn't it mm. sort of you get to your sort of base sort of animalistic you know just strip away everything that, that crude animalistic behavior essentially for pleasure for yeah. pleasure mm. um and and you know we just spoke a minute ago in terms of those sort of environmental cues um we're surrounded by it. Yeah, you know
1: it's. Uh... The, the 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 thing is that culturally we've built we've built society on those cues, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. End of the week means alcohol. Um, any festive period means alcohol. Mm. Any any pleasure is associated with sort of this. You, you, there's no surprise why you know, many in society are addicted to it because it's so intertwined yeah. with their daily lives. Yeah, um, It's hard to then now break that, right? Because yeah. their brain has been programmed to accept that I've got a birthday party coming, we're going to drink. Yeah, That's what they begin to look forward to. So yeah. their brains are in that mode where they're only reaching that sort of feeling via this mode of alcohol yeah. or drugs or whatever it is. But that that's just how society is... Yeah. Is, is is nowadays i suppose
0: yeah yeah no without without a doubt um that sort of reminds me of this interview that we once conducted this is actually with uh, a gentleman andrew lister who actually had worked in the gambling industry and uh, one of our pathway to peace sort of roving reporters uh nasi gilani uh, did a, conducted a fantastic interview um just kind of inquiring from him his sort of his experiences the people that he had seen him he'd obviously come across People who are blatantly addicted to gambling, um, and it was just really interesting to sort of hear his insight into into that particular area of of, of where addictions can can cause really great harm. Um, so let's have a listen.
2: And it gives me great pleasure that I have got Alan Lister with me here today, um, Alan. Uh First of all, peace and blessings upon you. Thank you very much for, uh, for being uh, you know being available for the interview. How are you today? My
3: pleasure to be here. I'm fine. Thank you very much.
2: Can you actually tell me a little bit, so what was actually your role in the past? I mean, and um, and we're going to maybe go more and delve more deeper when okay. you, you work, worked at that. Yes. What was your job, actually, and what was your role?
3: Well, after my national service, I came out and I worked in a very mundane business, selling biscuits, and we had no money, or I had no money at the time, so I had to live by selling things on market stalls. The one thing I did develop was quite a good head for numbers, and in 1960s, the government decided to legalise gambling. Being what what it was, I thought to myself, well, I can do this part-time, which I did, and I learned about gambling, cards craps, which is dice, roulette, and again, the great thing about gambling, the thing I learned more than anything else, is no matter how many times you win, you will in the end lose. Because this is the great thing with gambling. If you look at any programme about Las Vegas, there's wonderful apartments, they give people these wonderful apartments, but for nothing, for free. Nobody gives anything for free in Las Vegas. They come here because they expect to lose millions of pounds, and they do. Now, the one good thing about what I do is I try very hard to tell anybody who comes near me that gambling is an absolute disaster. And there's a very good example. Well, there's several examples, but one I would quote. Um, if you have a roulette table, you can bet red or black. Now, if you bet a pound on black... When red comes up, you think, well, next time it might be red. No, it might be the colours that you bet. In 1947, I think it was, in America, on a roulette table in one of the casinos, red came up 32 consecutive times. 32 consecutive times. Almost impossible. Now, if you were betting a pound, you, you t- you, this is the way it goes. Somebody says, well, if I bet a pound and lose, I'll bet two pounds, then I'll get it back. But if you go one pound, two pound, then you've got to bet four pound to get your pound back. Then it becomes eight, 16, 32, 17, and it goes on and on. And by the time you reach 10, you're betting 500 pounds on this doubling up system, which may be difficult to explain to most people who don't understand it. But if you just write down one, two, then double it to four, then double it to eight, you'll find by the time you reach 11, it will be over 1,000 pounds. And if you you did such a mad bet, which you probably never would do, and this is more hypothetical, but by doubling up 11 times, it would become 11,000 pounds. Should you do this mad thing, and this equation turns up, when you actually win, the 11,000 pounds that comes back to you, how much have you actually won? One pound, because you've been chasing your first one pound. It's, and that, this is betting in general. That is the most extreme example. But if you're putting money into a slot machine, yeah. the slot machine, it says the payout is such and such. Well, so it is, one in the million, yeah. which is why we do the lottery. Yeah. The odds in the lottery, 42 million to one, you wouldn't bet a house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine betting anything at 42 million? If it was 3 to 1, I wouldn't bet it. But that's me. I don't, I don't gamble. Because I've seen the problems with gambling.
2: No, no. You, 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 you said, that's very interesting, you said that um, that people actually more lose than actually win. And obviously the odds are very, very low that you win. And, and I just want to try to understand what goes... What, what happens in the mind of the people at this time when they, you know during this situation when, when, they, when, they, when they bet? I mean, uh, what, what drives them to do this? What are, what, what, are you able to share some stories or some examples? Well, you've seen people- one
3: of the great things with betting, of course, is that if you lose, you will find people get very angry. Yeah. Now, why they get angry because they lose, I'm not at all sure, except that they blame the machine okay. if they're betting on a machine. If you go to a horse race, you will see thousands of people betting money now, odds, which is what it's all about, if you say two to one, that's quite obvious what it is. You've got to put two pounds on, or one pound on to win two, whichever way you go, back or forth. But of course, the more you bet, the more likelihood it is, is you lose. It doesn't matter what it is. You can do this. Any, any equation you care to name, just sit in front of a table, put some cards on the table, and play snap. <laughs> You've got to get two, four, it's almost impossible to have a winning sequence. The main trouble, of course, is that people borrow to bet. Yeah. And young people it is very compulsive. And your peer pressure is very great, especially for the young. Yeah. And I see it as I walk along the high street. There's betting shops all along these days. Yeah the betting shop is not there for betting on horses, it's because they can have a slot machine right. Right. and the slot machine is hypnotic and dangerous yeah. I, later on um, I started to work in the casinos I became a manager of one small small club and um, we had all sorts of people come in in the 60s and early 70s it was quite the done thing to have a club which was a drinking club yeah. and you would have a card table, a roulette table, yeah. and a dice table. That was usually what it was. Poker is a separate game altogether, and you can play. Yeah. Yeah. The other great thing with gambling, I'm just trying to digress a little bit here, but just imagine you were playing poker, and you win vast sum of money. For you use a win, somebody else has to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're sitting opposite somebody who may be a friend or may not be a friend. But do you want to win his money? You know full well that if you take all the money he's got, he may lose his house. And what have you won? You've won a few pounds, which you'll lose again later on down the line. So gambling is a dangerous addiction. It's not what you win. It's what you make other people lose. And you can't build these huge hotels in Las Vegas where they give you drinks for nothing. Nothing is for nothing. You, you, You know you're going to lose. The trouble is with most people, the television, when you watch the television programmes, they're all happy faces playing bingo. I've won this, I've won that. You never see the story of the chap who did win and then lost it all. His wife has gone. his children have gone. he's on the streets. It's a terrible, terrible addiction. There's no winners, nothing to talk The greatest happiness you could ever give to somebody, if you had £10 and you thought, I'll gamble this £10, Go out in the street, find somebody who hasn't got anything, give them the £10, you will feel marvellous. Because when you get home, you'll think, I've done something for this poor chap, and he'll remember me and I shall remember him. You will get a far bigger lift by giving to somebody else than you ever will by winning a few pounds up or so. I'm very passionate about it because I've seen so many people lose everything.
0: We've just listened to an interview uh, with, I guess, Alan Lester. There, uh, interview conducted by Nasir Gilani. Apologies for the sound quality, but you could hear, um, literally, literally interviewing out on the streets, basically, and um, was, um, but gave some fascinating insight into the career in which he had observed various sort of addicts, I guess, um, people had really suffered. And I think gambling is one of those. The, I think the harm it sort of creates, it has a sort of a ripple effect it not only destroys the individual but those sort of the family as suppose all addictions do it to some degree but I think because of the sort of the monetary effect the the fact that the loss of property effectively people have lost their homes as a result of, of gambling
1: I think right. at the towards the yeah again you know really really good interview I think some points made there were yeah really eye opening I think yeah. Okay. So if we focus on towards the end of that interview, where he said yeah. no one wins. Yeah. And I think that's that's quite deep, isn't it? Because yeah. I think he touched upon there that even if you know, he said I, I don't know of anyone who's even won a lot. Yeah. But he's lost his family. Yeah. He's lost his kids because it will destroy. It. Yeah. And I think I, I I've read somewhere before as well. You know, those who win the lottery. Yeah. They're like quite depressed, and most of them go on to lose most of their money. Yeah. Um. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what it is, but again, yeah, going, going back to the gambling side of it, you're you're so addicted to this that there is no winner because no matter how much you win, yeah, your mind is gonna keep telling you, well, hold on, I c- I can now get more, I can get more, and you're never satisfied, and yeah, and people have lost it, and when he says people have lost their families, what well, yeah, ultimately, obviously, what he means is that relationships are broken, homes are ruined, yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. it was really um really interesting to hear that, but. What really struck me, what I was thinking about whilst whilst hearing that, was we are talking about um, earlier on, we were mentioning how social media and pornography and, you know, some of these vices are so easily accessible accessible for our children. But if we were to look at, okay, we're focusing on sort of addiction, but let's just for a moment look at gambling itself. Now, we'll come on to sort of the Islamic sort of side of things, but, you know, in Islam we... Very briefly, those who are leaders of society have a responsibility towards society to make sure that they create an environment which is um, of benefit to those living in that. And if we were to actually just take a second to actually look at where do you find all betting shops in those areas where Mm. the where it's sort of you know poverty, high poverty areas, that's betting shops. Where do you find casinos in those areas where people are elite? And, yeah. and they have got a lot of money so yeah. they have targeted and created business models yeah. in those areas where they know well where, where it's understood the society is most vulnerable yeah rather than doing the opposite of supporting society yeah in those areas you know of course if someone is poor and someone as an example has a pound and is walking to the shops and yeah. He needs two pounds to buy some food yeah. he's gonna walk past the betting shop which is gonna in, in, entice him into walking in and thinking maybe he can turn that one pound into two pound and yeah. and this is how people are sort of sucked in and and you see that society is now structured in a way where yeah it's built like that isn't it and it's such a shame because you th- you think of our sort of youngsters growing up even young it's, it's been happy it's been like that for years hasn't it yeah. and i think there's a massive responsibility here on the leaders of our society to yeah. to make some change
0: and it does feel, and sadly to say I think it feels like it's getting worse mm. in the sense that be, because it's just the nature of, 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 of well when I say the nature of the, the rat race really where you're sort of constantly Funny. told yeah that you could get this you, could get, you know and, and and when you're presented with that um, we, well I don't want to I don't want to come across as individuals kind of knocking all influences that's mm. not well, it's not the point I'm trying to make, but but when you've got people, um, I suppose influence could be of two types really. You can mm. you can get positive positive sort of messaging, but then you're right. The other the flip side then is if you're just sort of constantly sort of showing off. Well, this is what I've this is what I've got. This is what I own, um, and this is how you could do it. Mm. And I guess it's the shortcuts. I yeah. think I think people look at that and they <laughs> they think, well, okay, he's he or she has made it. I say made it in inverted commas. But they they I think they per- sort of they perceive a sort of a shortcut to mm. get there but i think the dangers sort of uh, that sort of come with that
1: um are not, are far not always visible benefits. yeah exactly and exactly. As, as, yeah that, that moral decay of society is so visible yeah if you actually just step back and try and understand it but when you're in as you said when you're in that rat race yeah you don't realize do you like you can buy anything on credit now yeah. i think i've mentioned before you can get a kettle from argos on credit yeah. imagine that and, you I think know, clothes now. Yeah. Clothes actually, <laughs> the, clo- the clothes you wear on your back. You can get on credit. Get on credit. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, it's going to entice our youngsters who, mm. youngsters and adults, you know, who yeah. who, yeah, and adults, yeah, yeah, who are who are seeing, yeah, you know, maybe they they feel like someone else is successful because of what they're wearing or because of what they're driving, and yeah. like you said, they they find that shortcut, don't they? Yeah. And then
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, I come across as Part of the research for the show, um, obviously looking at various sort of treatments or techniques, mm. can, you know, to sort of help with addictions. And there was a particular therapist um, caught my attention, Mandy Salagori, her name, founder and clinical director of the Charter Harley Street. I was, I was quite impressed with, I suppose, I suppose her background. She was someone who sort of, you know, admitted she herself had come from, had a very addictive, um, you know, in, in her sort of her, her youth to drugs uh, and other addictions um had quite a difficult childhood um and had sort of well i guess i tried would had found a way out essentially um did actually go through some treatment mm. and i think has but she sort of identified her own sort of i mean there is no there's no silver bullet obviously that could sort of yeah with a sort of just a flick of a switch and you've been you know cured of your addiction not at all no one's ever saying that i do i just like her approach i think. To sort of looking and observing, um, breaking down one's Uh, addiction—that is what I was um, quite sort of intrigued by. Um, And for this reason, so I'll I'll give you some of some some of her quotes. Really, she sort of she defines addiction as something as when we use something outside of ourselves Mm. in an attempt to fix how we feel, to the detriment of ourselves. A nice. Sort of easy explanation there, I get that. We sort of look for something outside of ourselves to think, oh, we need this mm. because this thing will make us feel better. Fine, I get that. Um, <coughs> but, but she then, she makes, she there was an interview that she did and um, and it was really interesting. She made a, a point about it's not just about the high, so achieving that high. She says, it's not just about the highs uh, meaning than necessarily the pleasures associated with 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 getting those highs it's about trying to avoid difficult people or difficult memories um the question is 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 what has happened and that you know and now I want to achieve that high so the point being it's so so what was it that made you turn to that high Effectively, mm. that's the point and i think so her sort of philosophy From, seems what to is be the void Exactly, that's it sorry you've explained it better than I have what is the point? <laughs> It's more of a um, her her philosophy is more of a prevention is better than cure hmm. uh, sort of you know approach, um, and I get that, and I think that's a fantastic approach. To be honest, I think that that really is the key. It is about prevention uh, rather than sort of you know constantly sort of firefighting and finding that cure. Um, she talks about also characteristics that we have, and um, and she she mentions. You know, could could individuals, can it be predicted which individuals would um, would be seen to be, would have addictive personalities? I think that's the point I'm trying to make. She said, for example, that people who tend to sort of get addicted to things, they have what she calls a sort of a shame core. okay? Um, and, and what she means by this is, you know, people sort of start to think, well, I don't think I'm worth it, I'm bad. Um... And, and 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 as a result of this sort of I'm bad, I'm worthless, you know, I have no value. I, you know, you know. Th- as a result of that, you you need that fix, or you you turn to something to fill that void, as you mm. mentioned, which I thought was fun, which I thought was quite a, an amazing insight. That if you find if you find your sort of your your well even adults, but certainly amongst the younger generation, if you if you if you sort of pick up on that that sort of character trait where they do feel sort of worthless or they feel, you know, a constant sense of shame as well as, she even mentioned individuals who are very, very controlling. Controlling because they feel like almost like, like like being a control freak. So they've got to take control of every single situation because if they don't, they'll look bad. If they look bad, the sort of the shame kicks in. And I just thought it was fantastic. I just thought, That that level of sort of breaking down sort of behaviour, I can understand obviously why people feel that sort of sense of um, of okay, so so how do I sort of how do I make myself feel better then, because I'm always feeling down, Mm -hmm. you know. I I just thought was really really interesting. She actually gave an interview, um, and 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 I'll, I'll read I'll read from it because I think it's probably best said in her words. And she says, personal experience tells me that addiction is misunderstood by society in subtle but vital ways. When I say I work in the field, people's thoughts turn immediately to drugs and alcohol, to what I consider to, to be the two manifestations of addiction rather than the condition itself. Because of this attentional bias, the goal often becomes sobriety. But to my mind, a shallow and stress, it's, a, it's a shallow and stressful goal compared to seizing and, li- and living the day. Further, I have long wondered if addiction is indeed a chronic relapsing condition or whether our focus on sobriety as the goal enables this. Perhaps we, as treatment professionals, should re-examine our treatment focus and methods. As in my experience, it is not only possible to get completely well from addiction, I would also claim that it's possible to prevent it. Um, She then goes on to say that prevention starts at home. For too long, we have invested time, resources, and energy into the firefighting end of this condition alone, prioritising the decriminalisation debate. But what about prevention? Teaching the tools of of recovery to children, such as education, self-regulation, personal responsibility, and emotional intelligence. And she says lastly, you do not airdrop into chronic addiction. You travel there Mm. through what often appears to be normal, if stressed or avoidant, behaviours until you suddenly find yourself behaving in ways you never imagined you would. Thus hidden in, in plain view, addiction can pollute individuals' perspectives, destroying families and run rampant, rampant throughout the very fabric of our society before it appears as one of the manifestations. There are high risk factors in any, in any individual too that are well known in the addiction treatment industry but which don't yet seem to have reached the wider medical community where early intervention is most often possible. Um, so, yeah, I just I I I get where she's coming from. There's this, you know she's very much focusing on on the individual, the the sort of the the personality traits that they exhibit. You know, it's something which she is arguing for the fact that. And it's I know it's difficult, but we should be able to catch this if that makes sense, rather than leaving it too late. The addiction is, has has kicked in. It is. It is effectively just. It's. It's ingrained. Uh, just as we t- we talked about before in the, in the first half of the show, you know, you're getting. You're getting that sort of that dopamine hit, essentially that pleasure um, that is associated to every time you. Um, the memory that sort of surfaces for every time you sort of reach that high, um, you know. She she's sort of advocating for. Look, you know, we need to be able to sort of prevent, catch that sort of behaviour. In advance which 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 I know is easier said than done i mean that that it's it's a tall order and I can see you thinking yeah that is
1: uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah i'm um, <clears throat> so she's she's highlighting that there's triggers that should be picked up yeah but then these are triggers that yeah we see society has a void in overall in terms of their direction in life in general yeah they're always from 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 the uh, we especially as, as Muslims we believe from the moment you're born yeah there's a purpose yeah and so it can go back to that as far back as that corner if you don't recognize your purpose then you're bound to fall into yeah um, pleasure-seeking methods which are ultimately you know yeah destructive and yeah. that's what I suppose she's she's highlighting that yes we should pick them up through education and yeah. but as Muslims we'll, we'll probably go further and say actually is that even a cure mm. um mm. Is, is you know are you preventing it are you actually preventing it or are you just at that point saying oh yeah it looks like this this person is possibly going to go down this route but yeah. it, it gets deeper than that yeah. i think um and on, on 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 the other side i think i do i do like you know of course prevention is always better than cure but i think the society yeah we're in at the moment is gone yeah most of it has gone beyond the preventative <laughs> state yeah. and into it requires a cure yeah um, yeah, uh, and I yeah, suppose we'll, we'll uh, probably a, touch upon that a bit. A,
0: well I mean that you, it's a really, it's a really point in terms of you know we, we, we'll, let's take that one now in terms of this, the, the external stimuli that exists you're right it, it's far too easy to say the prevention aspect um, because if you're constantly sort of bombarded mm-hmm. I mean if you just take for example and this is going off topic but we looked at the World Cup recently that happened in Qatar and, and and it wasn't really talked about much in in the Western no. sort of media, but the fact that the crime rates were minimal, if not zero, all because and I'm not I'm not saying it's all down to one factor, but the fact that the alcohol element was taken out of the equation completely. Yeah, you, you can't. It you know, it doesn't take a genius to understand the the sort of the the, ill effects. Of yeah, it. exactly.
1: The problem is though, it, it won't be widely accepted because there's an issue of accepting other people's beliefs and cultures yeah. and 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 religions and actually actually looking into that and thinking what's good in this that I can take away yeah um and yeah unfortunately that just doesn't happen and we we saw the coverage you I think you briefly touched on it we sh- we saw the lack of coverage and yeah. and the lack of respect shown but yeah actually if you go down to sort of the statistics yeah like you said you know there was less crime. Yeah, people did feel safer. Yeah, and if it's obvious that a big part of that is the fact that there was no alcohol. Yeah, why is that not being shouted and screamed about?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess for the last segment of the show that I, as we normally do on, on the Pathway to Peace show, we, we sort of look at so 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 what are the sort of Islamic perspectives, solutions, techniques, um, that have been advocated you know, over fifteen hundred years ago essentially that are that are equally sort of uh, relevant and applicable in 21st century you know life and many time we've sort of we've looked at uh, various sort of lectures discourses verses from the holy quran sayings of the holy prophet peace be upon him writings of the founder of the amdi muslim community Hassan, Ahmed, and his successes and there's a there's a a particular book that I'll refer to the various points but I'll I'll turn to this one 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 book uh, firstly um it was actually a speech delivered by the second caliph uh of the Md Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Bashidi Mahmud Ahmed. and it was a speech delivered well just coming up to literally just over a century ago um first delivered, it was delivered in 1925 essentially so 97 years ago um the the speech itself is published into book form, um, entitled Way of the Seekers. And you know, for those who may not be aware of this book, um if they go to alislam.org dot org and they sort of type into the search Way of the Seekers, um they obviously you know, it's, it's freely available to download. And I would say the book is effectively a sort of a self help manual, you know, for want of a better word. It a book that was well ahead of its time and a and uh and I'll uh, substantiate that claim by uh, there's a particular thing that I found I learned in in sort of preparing for this show. There's a section in that book where the second caliph talks about where it talks about the sort of this the, the sort of philosophy um and sort of gives us a sort of really amazing insight into sort of into sort of sin, the concept of sin, where it originates from and this particular section it, the section itself was where you know where does sin come from essentially. And I'll read from his text. He says, here an, an important question arises. It may be asked with so many encouragements towards a life of virtue and so many discouragements towards a life of vice. Um, where does vice manage to enter the life of man? The back you know, the, the various sections before he's talking about how Islam, Ali Quran, talks about uh, like living a life of virtue. So, the, so naturally the question arises. And I think this is the style of his, very, very much of his sort of speeches and books is, when the reader is looking, you know, reading through his text, the reader I find thinks of a question, and then literally, sort of sentences later, he then tackles that very question, which I think is a sort of a genius quality of his, of his books. To be honest. he then goes, right, he says, he says, I can I can only briefly indicate the answers to this important question. The main causes of sin are the following: ignorance. Sometimes a person allows himself no time for reflection while trying to satisfy his natural impulses mm. and allows a passing interest <laughs> or pleasure to determine his action, which I think is amazing because that talks about, we t- we talked about in the first half of the show yeah. about sort of the dopamine sort of, you know, hits. Um, right, he says the excitement of the moment removes from his view the more permanent and the more solidly happy ends of life, e, think one of the fundamental aspects of Islam is the fact that there is a, a life to come that is everlasting. There's accountability there. So he says, um, he said the sorts of ignorances can have many causes, and he talks about the various causes of ignorance. I'll just run through the list. Effectively, he goes through twelve sort of list, a uh, sort of a list, uh, you know, twelve areas. He talks about greed. Too much greed blinds a person to many important matters. Um, he talks about intense need. So it's, it's related to that. He talks about bad health. He then talks about excessive fear, and the the next few are quite interesting. He talks about excessive fear or excessive love, excessive optimism, excessive pessimism, excessive insistence on anything, excessive desire, excessive lack of desire. And, And I think this is fantastic when you think about personality traits, because I actually think this is not a million miles away from, I think, the points that were made from the therapist before where she talked about those sort of personality traits. There was one he mentions here about hereditary tendencies. Wow. I'd seen this before, and I'd be, I'd be honest, when I first read this book many years ago, I couldn't understand that about hereditary tendencies because I thought, but how is that possible? That if my parent suffered from alcoholism or any form of addiction, why should that necessarily transmit to me then as the child? Okay, At the time, I well, I'd been thinking that for many years, to be honest. Yeah. I think came across an article recently, sort of in preparation for this show, and this talked about this new sort of, I don't know about new science, but it's something in the last few years that's become, it's gained a lot of attraction. This is from the Harvard sort of Journal, something called epigenetics, okay? Epigenetics, so it, it, I'll just read from, from, from sort of the Harvard sort of article that I've, that I've got, and it says, there's accumulating evidence suggests that environmental factors such as stress, ...induce epigenetic changes that can trigger the development of psychiatric disorders and drug addiction. Epigenetic changes refer to regulations of gene expression... ...that do not involve alterations in the sequence of the genetic material, i.e. DNA in itself... ...but practically, epigenetic changes are information that is added onto already existing DNA... ...but can affect the expression of genes... So the point being made there that there could be external factors like stress, for example, that you may be predisposed. Mm. There may be something in your DNA that sort of that you do have a sort of a higher predisposition to maybe forming some sort of addiction for something. And there are others, and, and it comes back to those external cues. Stress can be one of them. Mm. Um, that, as a result of which, can then trigger. It doesn't. Affect, it doesn't actually affect. It doesn't really change your DNA, but it may sort of set off. Changes potentially, which I thought when I read that, and then I sort of read that in conjunction with when the second caliph talked about yeah, hereditary tendencies, it blew my mind. You know, once again, the, the the book is the gift that keeps on giving, and I think it tells a lot about how maybe we should be looking at, um, at sort of addiction and, and, and these type of behaviours.
1: Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. I think that's um, yeah, I think that's the first I've heard um, something like that. But that's yeah it's amazing and i think it as you said it really will if taken seriously we can really begin to have a have a real good insight into yeah how addiction actually works yeah um but also yeah then unfairly some people will be um i suppose yeah predisposed to say to to some conditions or at least yeah uh have yeah yeah yeah. They'll will they'll, they'll be more susceptible to yeah. to some of these ill illnesses, I suppose, yeah, if we yeah. call them that.
0: Yeah. T- talking more generally, I guess, from Islamic sort of uh, Islamic perspective, there are just three aspects, for example, and how we, that can be used to to tr- at least breaking the cycle of addiction if mm. one sort of adheres to these principles. I'll take the first one: speaking the truth. OK, many a times within the Holy Quran, you know, the, there's this a, a commandment, essentially, to, to speak the truth. There's a particular verse, chapter 2, verse 43, and confound not truth with falsehood, nor hide the truth knowingly. And we find that, for, for example, sort of addicts, there is that sort of tendency to sort of, you would sort of maybe conflate the truth. But you, well, the, the point being, you don't want to admit it's... It, it's quite shameful then yeah. to sort of admit to, to sort of, you know, you, you know, someone you respect or fellow peers of what you're doing. Um and I find it amazing. There's a particular saying of the Holy Prophet, which I think is fantastic the way, you know, the, the, the way in which he sort of expresses the the merits of, of speaking the truth. Um he says the Holy Prophet peace be upon him once said, It's obligatory for you to tell the truth, for truth leads to virtue and virtue leads to paradise. And the man who continues to speak the truth and endeavours to tell the truth is eventually recorded as truthful with God. And beware of telling a lie, for telling of a lie leads to obscenities and obscenity leads to hellfire. And the person who keeps telling lies and endeavours to tell a lie is recorded as a liar with God. So you could see the sort of the chain, really, the sort of the knock-on effect that just speaking the truth has. Um, we have, for example, praying. Um, there is a sort of a well-known saying of the of the Holy Prophet, Peace be upon him, about praying five times a day is akin to to bathing five times a day. Um, he, he, you know, there was a, a very famous narration where the Messenger of Allah, Peace be upon him, said, "If there was a river at your door and that person took a, ba- a bath in it five times a day, would you notice any dirt on him?" And the companions who were around they said, "They said, they said, no, there wouldn't be any trace of dirt left on him." And then the Holy Prophet, Peace be upon him, said. That is the parable of the five prayers by which God removes sins. So I think this is a constant sort of reminder, I guess, as you're praying, there's a sort of a cycle to follow. It it, it naturally, you know, I think it's quite beautiful that with with any sort of addiction, you, there's that craving that you want, When it, when is the next hit coming from? Mm. And it is it is definitely one of the most difficult sort of feelings to sort of conquer. But vis-a-vis sort of the prayer timings, um, and the fact that it's quite beautiful that sort of the, the nature of the, the Islamic prayer sort of varies depending on obviously the calendar. Mm. So it does sort of you know that that just shows that if it had had they been fixed that a very uh, regulated that it must be at two o'clock at uh, six o'clock, even then the human body has, the human has a way of sort of getting around Finding it. Well, we've beautiful. done our prayer. Uh, we're going to lapse again in about an hour's time. But the fact that the prayer cycle sort of varies,
1: yeah. I think, is it counters that. Yeah. I think overall, it it it, it highlights that a society is, I suppose, bereft of guidance. Of mm. this, you know, we we are blessed, I suppose, to be part of the community where His Holiness, the Caliph, guides us. And some of the points you just mentioned there is, you know, in his recent um, uh, concluding uh, sort of speech of. Uh, one of the annual gatherings yeah. that we have uh, in India, okay. he spoke about you know, f- two of the things he spoke about. One was zina, which is adultery, yeah. and one is khayanat, which is dishonesty. Right. And he tried; he highlighted there that you know the the moral ills of society, and highlighted these two yeah. as areas. And I, I, I suppose the point I'm getting to is that we're blessed to have guidance yeah. like that, where continuously we can, and, and I think that it goes back to the point of, you know, we are we talking about the lady who, who said prevention is better than cure, and she was saying you can find these trigger points, and, and I suppose a subtle point I was trying to make there is that that's where society has a void, where yeah. there isn't that guidance, I suppose, um, to help them through sort of life, and we're blessed to sort of have that. Um,
0: yeah, I agreed, agreed. Um, well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this episode. Uh, a big thank you to my fellow presenter, Shams Najam. We'll be back same time next week for a new episode of Pathway to Peace. But before we draw to a close, I just wanted to end with a single quote from His Holiness on the occasion of the Friday Sermon, which happened to coincide with the New Year's Eve just over a decade ago on the 31st of December 2010, in which he said the following, Seek help from God and try to do good works, and in the new year, always keep reformation in view. You can comment on today's programme and carry on the conversation through Twitter by tweeting at VoiceOfIslamUK using the hashtag VOIPeace. Peace be upon you.